Welcome back to the Wrestling Rodeo Podcast. We're currently going back in time to the 1980s and reviewing some classic Stampede Wrestling. This episode is for November 1987. As always, I'm your host, Paul, and along with me is my co-host, Mitch. Hi, everybody. Mitch, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good in the quarantine. Well, quarantine is about to get a lot more interesting in Alberta because we've got some wrestling shows coming up here. RCW is performing up north in Edmonton on the 20th at the Norwood Legion, and then they're down in Calgary on the 26th at the Royal Canadian Legion Number 1 downtown Calgary. In addition, Pure Power Wrestling, PPW, down in Lethbridge, they have a show on the 27th. It's nice to see a little wrestling coming back to the local scene. Absolutely. And if any of our listeners want to buy tickets to those shows, they have to know that all those shows are limited to 100 tickets being sold, period. Buy five. Sit by yourself. (laughs) So going back to the main purpose of our show, talking about Stampede Wrestling, let's start off with the first show in November, November 6th, 1987. We open up, Ed Whalen's in the ring. He's telling us that Owen Hart was injured in Red Deer during a match against Mock and Singh, that it's a hamstring injury, and that unfortunately he's not performing in the show tonight. But he does confirm that Owen Hart will be available on the upcoming Stampede Wrestling Tour, featuring stops in Cutbank, Lethbridge, and Great Falls. All great cities. Yeah, and it, the location seemed to be an issue for Maka Singh throughout. He's never too happy about it. Uh, our first match of this night, Phil LaFleur defeating Goldie Rogers. When we come into this match, because Stampede Wrestling shows, they always join matches in progress. Goldie Rogers is in control of the match. He's keeping LaFleur down on the ground with a side headlock, but obviously... You can't keep a guy like Phil LaFleur down for long. He battles up, hits Goldie Rogers with a shoulder block, and Rogers doesn't go down in this case. So LaFleur sets back up, starts going for another shoulder block, but Rogers is able to catch him with a back elbow. And then front headlock on LaFleur, and it keeps him down on the ground, only momentarily until he pushes Rogers back into the corner and throwing him across the ring with an arm drag. He then LaFleur kind of impresses me, but I'm noticing that Goldie Rogers is starting to be the bad guy, Mr. Hito. Yeah, he's that- there to really put over the new guys that are coming into the promotion and making them look strong. He does a really good job of it. He does, but unlike this Mr. Match- Hito, I don't want to see Goldie Rogers win. Well, this is true. Screw Goldie Rogers. I want him to lose every match. Well, he's somewhat successful. (laughs) He delivers to those expectations. Exactly. LeFleur displaying some of his power in this match. Big atomic drop on Rogers, and then he starts stalking him around into another corner of the ring. He Irish whips him into the corner opposite him and then nails Goldie Rogers with a big hip toss on the rebound. He goes for the pin, and it's only a count of two. Rogers attempts a back body drop when LaFleur's running the ropes, but LaFleur puts his hands on the shoulders and just kind of pushes him back into the ropes behind him and then nails him with a big gut buster. I don't think I've ever seen anyone thwart a back body drop in that way before. It was interesting. It was creative. It subverted my expectations yeah it was a really good move and LaFleur's he's going to grow on me I think he's a really fun wrestler to watch he's another guy that I didn't know anything about coming into watching these shows and he the last few shows he's showing more and more and more and more and he's looking good Yeah, I'm going to look forward to seeing more of him. So after that match, we go to a promo with Mockinson and Jerry Morrow. They're setting up the main event for the evening. 
Bad Company, the team of Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman, d- challenging Moro and Mockin for the vacant International Tag Team Championships, which is a match that has been built since the very first show of October. So we're five weeks into this build. They're not the only team that gets a chance to speak before the next singles match. Bad companies in the ring with Jim Davies. Pillman's fired up because Mockinson and Jerry Moore were trash-talking Montana, and Bruce Hart was originally born in Montana. And obviously they call their bandanas badanas. And Pillman co- coins the phrase, badanorama gonna run wild in Montana. That's a great line. It's, it is a great line. Badana is a really weird word to say, though. Yeah, it's it's one of those tongue twisters that you you really don't want to say a lot. <laughs> Our next match is Steve DeSalvo defeating Johnny Smith. As we've talked about in the last episode, Johnny Smith is really a hidden gem in Stampede Wrestling. He's he's an amazing worker. He can work anywhere in the card. He can work any division, any sort of match. This is a really good match. It's probably the best one I've seen of DeSalvo so far. I think most of that is attributed to the fact that DeSalvo and Smith are a little bit more evenly balanced than the guys that DeSalvo has been wrestling up until now. And I think Johnny Smith is really good to work with. So DeSalvo's able to benefit from matching up with someone that can, you know, not just he can do moves on, that can do moves on him too. And when we join this match, Johnny Smith is in control, but not not for long. DeSalvo strikes. He jumps on the opportunity. He nails Johnny Smith with a really stiff clothesline and then a quick couple of elbow drops. A front face buster to Smith keeps him down momentarily until DeSalvo starts picking up Smith and throwing him around like he's a cruiserweight. DeSalvo is strong as an ox. He's a unique specimen of a human being. Johnny Smith is not a small man. He's probably 240, and DeSalvo is throwing him around like he is half of that. Yeah, it's very odd to see someone Johnny Smith's size look small. It's insane. The finish comes to Salva whips Smith into the ropes, and then he uses his very large shoulder to attack Smith with a very large shoulder block. And Jim Davies is on commentary, losing his mind, saying that DeSalvo almost caved in the chest of Johnny Smith. And my initial reaction was, that's probably not that far off. That was a very vicious attack. Yeah, it was a violent collision. After DeSalvo mugs to the crowd a little bit, you know, doing his pose down, he puts a foot up on Johnny Smith's chest and poses with one foot. And when Smith kicks out, he yells at Smith to get up. And DeSalvo very quickly uses a pile driver to close out that match. Yeah, and the pile driver is definitely becoming his finishing move. Although with Smith's weight, he didn't go all four angles to the crowd. Steve DeSalvo, when he has guys up for the pile driver, he normally jumps to all four sides of the ring to show the crowd, there's no way your, your hero's getting up after this. But he only did two with Johnny Smith? I think it was two. I think it's the least I've seen him do. I mean, he's still strong as shit to even do that to two sides of the ring. Oh, yeah, to fake it, you got to have a lot of power. DeSalvo winning that one fairly decisively there wasn't any cheating it was just a good straight up wrestling match a very cocky heel and steve DeSalvo getting the win bad news allen is in the ring with ed whalen after this match and these two very pleasant greeting between the two of them bad news is promoting the rest of the tour in cut bank lethbridge great falls and notably he says there's no regulatory body in great falls which means there's no rules and that's exactly how he wants it when he steps into the ring with Corporal Kirshner, 
delivering some heavy words saying that Kirshner is only a tin soldier and that after that match, he's going to use a can of spray paint to spray paint a yellow line down Kirshner's back. Yeah, he's uh, bad news. Allen is kind of playing that middle ground between Ed Whelan's friend and complete badass. He just seems to show up to terrorize people. He's out there to intimidate. Absolutely. He doesn't have a match on this show. He's just here promoting the tour. And you can tell that the crowd is just so enthralled and captured by what he's saying. Yeah, he can talk the game and he can wrestle with anyone out there. So he was always one of the top guys I found him back in the day. After Bad News' promo, Ed Whalen remains in the ring and Phil LaFleur comes out and he's saying that he's tired of seeing Steve DeSalvo come out and claim that he's the best built man in wrestling. And LaFleur offers a couple of poses for the crowd. And the women in the crowd are just going nuts. Yeah, they were grooving to it. But DeSalvo comes out. He's watching his poses. And then he gets in the ring, talks about the audacity of LaFleur trying to show off. And he responds with a couple of quick poses himself before attacking LaFleur with his own amateur bodybuilding trophy. Yep. Let's straight up cheap shot from behind with the trophy. Our next match is a tag team match. The team of Corporal Kirshner and Mr. Hito defeating Viet Cong Express number two and the Zodiac. And instantly, as soon as we came into this match, I had a bunch of questions. My mind went, well, what's going to give here? Kirshner is an absolute beast. He's undefeated in Stampede Wrestling. But Mr. Hito struggles heavily recently. He has not been able to string together a series of wins. And on the other side of the, of the equation, the other team, what, what association do these two even have? Are they just teaming up because they're both wearing masks? Is Viet Cong Express number two still Viet Cong Express number two because Viet Cong Express number one no longer exists? Is Viet Cong Express number two just Viet Cong Express? I like to think he was wrestling as an individual first as Viet Cong Express number two and picked up a partner who became number one. <laughs> this match this match was good. Viet Cong Express throwing Hito to the outside, Zodiac starting to attack, but Kirshner intercepts. And this is the first time I've seen a tag team partner actually protect his partner when they get thrown to the outside of the ring. Yeah, it was a unique move. I was Glad to see it because things looked like they were going to get real ugly real fast. Yeah, Corporal Kirshner went up in my books for protecting Mr. Hito there. Zodiac gets in after uh, Hito gets rolled back into the ring. Zodiac tags in and uses a rope-assisted vertical suplex to get a two-count from referee Jurgen Herman. So with Jurgen Herman, you know some stuff's going to go on some some fun, funny business where he's not going to see tags and whatever else. Zodiac tags Viet Cong Express in and Hito reverses the running attack from Viet Cong Express with a back body drop and both men are down. Both men are battling to the corner to tag their partner. But surprisingly, Zodiac refuses the tag from Viet Cong Express, telling directing him to stop Hito from making the tag to Kirshner first. Viet Cong Express runs over, stops Hito, and then tries to make the tag again. And Zodiac still won't tag in. Yeah, he's uh, not looking like the best partner to pick at this point. No, he's looking like an absolute jerk. Hito, though, he has a great partner. He tags Kirshner in. Kirshner comes in like a man on fire. He's taken it to Viet Cong Express. He throws Viet Cong Express into the Zodiac and then throws the Zodiac out of the ring. Uh, big kamikaze drop on Viet Cong Express, but he breaks the pin at one to challenge the Zodiac. And the Zodiac's uh, a psycho. Yeah, so you've got Corporal Kirshner challenging a psychopath to step into the ring with him and face him. But Zodiac refuses, and Kirshner pins Viet Cong Express for the victory. Kirshner has a lot of enemies, man. He 
he seemed to just take on everyone. It's like he issued a notice to any guy that was a dick that he was coming for. Yeah, really. So we've seen Zodiac. The next match has Jason the Terrible. Hiro Haze defeating Jason the Terrible by disqualification. When we join this match, Jason the Terrible is in complete control. He delivers a big stalling vertical suplex, but Haze is able to kick out of that pin attempt. A running bulldog attempt from Jason, pin attempt. Haze battles out again. He locks a double underhook on Haze, but Haze ends up battling against Jason. So it's almost like Jason was setting up for uh, Triple H's pedigree, but I think he was probably going to go for like a double underhook suplex or something of that nature. But Haze battles out of it, and Jason responds with a couple of clubbing blows to keep the faster man stationary in the ring. Haze manages to reverse an Irish whip into the corner, and Jason immediately responds with a clothesline and then throws Haze over the top rope while Jurgen Herman is distracted by Zodiac on the outside. And then... Jason is... Go ahead. Jason is one terrifying piece of work in the, in the ring. He's the, incredible. The more I see of him, the more I just can't believe how, how good he is in that squared circle. The more I see of him, the more I wish people knew about him. I wish that people talked about Jason the Terrible like they talk about Bad News Allen and Stampede or like how they talk about um, e- even the hearts. Like If you think about, we've seen probably just as much of Jason the Terrible as we have Owen Hart at this point. Yeah, I would say about equal. And I, I wish that Jason the Terrible was talked about more. Well, it's the one downfall of the character is you don't have a lot of good sound bites to be remembered. That's true. It, every, a lot of people remember the character and certain moments of Jason, but man, I'm, I'm blown away by his, his work. Yeah, he's something special. Just the the size, the speed, and you know, he's one of those guys that does moves you don't think he should be able to do. No, a couple of shows ago, I referred to him as Kane before Kane was even a thought in the WWF. He's just he's huge. He's strong. He's fast. He is indestructible. You can throw anything at him, and he is going to still come at you, like something straight out of a horror movie. Yeah, he, he definitely could wrestle to the and do it justice. Absolutely. Getting back to the match, Jason delivers a series of forearms to the lower back of Jose and grabs him into a bear hug. Jose barely fights out of the bear hug and Jason responds with a big power slam in the middle of the ring and only draws what Ed Whalen calls two and seven eighths of a count. And Jason is looking at Jurgen Herman and he's in absolute disbelief and then responds with another power bomb to another near fall. But Jose kicks out from here. Jose is starting to use his speed to create some separation between him and the bigger man. A big karate kick only gets a one count. A splash from the ropes only gets a two count. But Haase ultimately locks in a sharpshooter in the middle of the ring on Jason. And at this point, Zodiac throws a mysterious powder into Haase's face and then gets in the ring and stomps Haase, causing the disqualification. Which I'm not even sure he needed to do. I mean, it is Jason. But Zodiac has his own game plan, and I don't think it matters to him what Jason wants. No, Jason is just a tool of destruction for the Zodiac. And that brings us to the main event of this show, the Stampede International Tag Team title match, 
for those vacant championships, the team of Bad Company, Brian Pillman and Bruce Hart, against Jerry Morrow and Mock and Singh. This one, there's no winner. It goes to a 60-minute time limit draw. This match, what we saw of it, was incredible. We probably only saw the first five minutes of it in the last two minutes. But the last two minutes, they were so action-packed. It Mockins in the ring. He's pinning Pillman. Hart's quickly in to break it up. Morrow locking in a Boston Crab on Pillman, but Hart's up to the top rope and delivers a jumping elbow to break up that pin. Mockin enters the ring illegally. Bruce Hart d- delivering two big clotheslines to Mockin and then tying Mockin up in the sleeper hold. He tags Pillman in, whips Mockin off of the ropes. Pillman nails his flying crossbody finisher off the top rope with 10 seconds left in the match. That pin is broken up by Morrow and there's just not enough time and it's a time limit draw. Championships are still vacant. I would have loved to have seen more of this match. Like maybe instead of the last two minutes, we saw the last 10 minutes of it, but this could have been in this match. It could have been an entire episode of Stampede and I would have still loved it. Oh yeah, just the one match. Like that was the one thing about watching it back in the day is you knew it was just a teaser that the real thing would be so much better. Yeah, especially when it's a sixty-minute time limit. Like if if you had any independent promotion in the world put out a a clip of a couple of minutes of a 60 minute match that would pique the curiosity of so many people around the world. And they would just go, wait, hold on. Those two guys wrestled for 60 minutes or these two teams wrestled for 60 minutes. I got to see that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the best trailer in the world. Yeah, I, I remember CM Punk and Samoa Joe in Ring of Honor. They had an hour-long match, and that's what got me into Ring of Honor was I heard about this match. I heard it was 60 minutes. I heard it was amazing, and I tuned in, and I watched it. Yeah, because that's, you know, anyone who's done any sports of, at all knows what it's like to try to go for an hour. It, it, yeah, it's such an accomplishment and just it truly demands respect from from the crowd and from everyone watching and even from the opponents, which both teams gave credit to their opponents in the post-match promo. They hate each other, but they sure as hell respect each other. Yeah, it was definitely uh, an eye-opener, especially... You know, I have to be honest. I wouldn't think Moccasin could go for an hour, but, uh, you know, he's he's a gamer. He really is. And luckily, fans won't have to wait another month to see the follow-up match to that one. It is scheduled for the next week, November 13th, 1987. Friday the 13th. It's Jason the Terrible's birthday. What's going to happen? Well, is it not the Hiro Hazu rematch? Yeah, Hiro Haze gets his rematch with Jason the Terrible, but it's Jason the Terrible's birthday. It's Friday the 13th. His power is going to be unmatched. So but, just considering what I had seen of him up till then, I probably wouldn't go to the show for this one. <laughs> We'll get to that match at the end of this show, November 13th. We have four matches to get through before we talk about Jason the Terrible and Hiro Haze, the rematch. The first match, Zodiac defeating Johnny Smith by disqualification. Zodiac's in control of this one early. He uses the ropes. He delivers a splash to Johnny Smith, throws Smith out onto the announcer's table and attacks Smith with a headbutt which puts Smith down on his back immediately. Jim Davies claims that Zodiac puts a piece of metal inside of his mask to amplify the effects of his headbutt. And I think we have seen that on one occasion. 
We have, but what immediately follows that statement is Smith getting control of the match by using a headbutt of his own to Zodiac. Turnabout's fair play. Yeah, but Johnny Smith is literally just headbutting someone that has a piece of metal in their mask. Oh, but he shifts it when he headbutts. Mm. Does he? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll, I'll give you that one. Smith, after that headbutt to Zodiac, gut-wrench suplex on Zodiac for a two-count. Absolutely beautiful move. Big body slam near the corner and go... He goes up to the top rope to deliver a splash of his own, but Zodiac gets his knees up to halt the momentum early. Zodiac attacks him with a couple of double-footed stomps. Smith gets his feet up into Zodiac's crotch and then leg presses him up and over the top rope, which is an instant red card and disqualification for Johnny Smith. Not the fact that he nailed Zodiac in the crotch with both his feet, but because he threw Zodiac over the top rope. Which, you know, is in violation of the rules. But gi- giving your opponent two feet to the, to the uh, nether regions, is it? Well, that's a gray area there, you know. That's a gray <laughs> card. The, the lesser known of the cards. <laughs> After the match, bad companies in the ring, they deliver a very bad company-esque promo. Pillman is the wild, fired-up member. Hart's the cool, calm, collected. Both of them promise that they're going to win later in the night. Yeah, and they're a little less cocky at this point. They've got a little more respect for their opponents, I think. So they're more business-like. Yeah, I think this is the first time I've seen a promo between for for a program between Mock and Sing and the hearts that I, Bruce Hart didn't call him toilet bowl. Yeah. Like I say, it was a little more toned down, a little more when you know you've got a really tough opponent, you're, there's a little less yapping sometimes. Yeah. Our next match, Steve DeSalvo defeating Mr. Hito. And when we join this, Mr. Hito's in control. He's built, looking to build off his victory with Corporal Kirshner last week. He's working the legs of the bigger man to keep him down on the ring mat. But DeSalvo's not down long. DeSalvo battles to the ropes. He gets a rope break. He gets up and starts laying into Hito, just bullying him. Short short punches, back elbows, throwing Hito across the ring like a rag doll. He picks him up into a military press and drops Hito to the mat and then nails him with a standing elbow drop. DeSalvo picks Hito up into a backbreaker over his shoulder and Hito has no choice but to submit. Yeah, it was a short match. It was a short match, but it really shows what Steve DeSalvo can do. Yeah, he's just a monster powerhouse. Like you do not want to go strength on strength with this guy. No, you really don't. And his primary his nemesis, LaFleur, is in the next match. He's teaming with Corporal Kirshner this year against Hashif Khan and Viet Cong Express number two. And Hashif Kong is Shinya Hashimoto. He's one of the original three musketeers of New Japan Pro Wrestling, along with Muto and Kono. So I never knew that he had worked for Stampede Wrestling before. I was absolutely blown away because he is an absolute legend of Japanese wrestling. And I hope that we get to see more of them as time goes on. Yeah, he was, uh, he's more than you expect when you look at him. He's, he's definitely, uh, you look at him and see him as kind of a Kerry Brown type, but there's a lot more to him than that. He's a phenomenal wrestler. And I, I never knew he wrestled in the Stampede Wrestling before. I'm ecstatic that I get to see him now wrestle for Stampede Wrestling. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, for Corporal Kirshner, no match is ever too much. Legend or not, you're going to lose really quickly. He is in complete control. He sends Khan out to the outside of the ring and he just does whatever he wants to Viet Cong Express. He, he tags in Le Fleur who joins in on the beatdown of an already broken down man in Viet Cong Express and pins Viet Cong Express to get victory. Very short match. Yeah, and I think this is a tag team I'd like to see more of. Kirshner and Lafleur, or Khan and Viet Cong? Uh, Kirshner and Lafleur. I mean, there's just there's so much to like about these two guys in a tag team match. And having someone to work with gives Kirshner a little bit of a human edge because so far we've seen Kirshner and he comes in he just beats guys up he wins all his matches having a tag team partner could help humanize the character a little bit yeah I think so and you just got two guys with such a good work ethic in the ring that I you know I would really love to see a tag team with these guys against bad company I want to watch any team against bad company I want to watch Hashif Khan and Viet Cong Express number two against Bad Company. Hell, even now, I want to watch the Young Bucks against Bad Company. Because Bad Company is, they're so far ahead of their time. They are so good. They're so well-oiled as a team. Even the uh, difference in their promo style. I think I I made note of it in one of these shows where promo where a pillman promo he hurls insults at guys and then bruce comes in and he's just cool calm and collected and goes thanks for supporting us we're gonna win oh yeah they were exciting they were when you saw them you know the crowd loved them as soon as they saw him in the ring and I'd, i'd like to i can't remember if i've ever seen how they come out at the start of the match. I would be really interested to see if we could find something about that. Yeah, an entrance, I would love to see that too. But we won't see it on this show. Our Stampede International tag team match between Bad Company, Brian Pillman, Bruce Hart against Jerry Morrow, Mock and Singh is next. Bad Company winning this one. We join this match about 20 minutes in. Owen Hart is joining Jim Davies as a guest on commentary. He says that he's rooting for Bruce and Brian, hoping they'd be able to walk away with the championships at the end of the show, which is, it's the most brotherly thing you can say. Obviously you're not going to openly cheer against your brother, but Mockin is in control. When we, when we join it, he goes for a leg drop on a downed Pillman, but Pillman manages to roll away at the last millisecond and that gives Pillman the opportunity to tag in Hart and Hart is a one man wrecking crew he grabs Machen and Morrow and smashes their heads together he nails Jerry Morrow with a clothesline and as he's setting up for to attack Machen Singh with one Jerry Morrow manages to pull the rope down and send Hart flying over the top rope to the outside and Owen, he gets up from commentary and he, and he looks at Jerry Morrow. He's about to confront them. And this distracts Jürgen Herman, Mockensing, and Jerry Morrow. They're all paying attention to Owen in the corner. And what they don't notice is Bruce Hart is crawling underneath the ring to the opposite side of the ring. And when Mockensing turns around, Bruce Hart's there running at him to deliver his patented running clothesline. And that's how he wins the championship. Owen is in the ring quickly to celebrate. Phil LaFleur comes out from the back and steals Jerry Morrow's champagne. And all of everyone is so happy that Bad Company are the tag team champions again. And all I can think of is that's another really creative finish to a Bad Company tag team match. Yeah, they never cease to impress me. It's something different every time I watch them. They, they work really well together. And it's, I find their matches 
are fast. There seems to be a really good pace to them mm -hmm. for the most part. And you just, you're excited with them that they won. That's the sign of a really good team, you know? It's not just that they won, it's that you, you're you on board with that. And it feels like you're winning a little bit. That's a f That's great insight. I agree wholeheartedly. As we mentioned earlier, this show is main evented by Jason the Terrible and Hiroshi Haze, and it's Friday the 13th. It's Jason the Terrible's birthday. It's a no-disqualification match, and Bad News Allen is out on commentary. Jason is very aggressive in this match, more so than usual. Apparently, there was a birthday cake out for Jason, and Haze actually smashed it into his face. If someone brought me a birthday cake to my to my office and then someone else smashed it in my face, I would be really upset with that person. I would have given them cake, but instead they decided to ruin it for everyone. Which is never right. No. Cake is for eating. Jason is absolutely brutalizing Haze in the match. The cake smasher hasn't had a single offensive or defensive move from what we've seen. Jason is going corner to corner to corner to corner, delivering a series of headbutts one by one. He gets to the fourth corner, and that's when he flies halfway across the ring one last time, and he finally gets the victory. But Haze is not kicking out. That first one, Jason lifts him at two. The second one, Jason lifts him at one. The third one, Jason lifts him at one. So Jason is just brutalizing. He is just beating Haze this entire match. And after, after getting the victory, Jason the Terrible is still mad about his cake. He's still attacking Hero Haze. The fan, a fan gets in the ring and tries to stop the abuse from Jason and Jason throws that fan out. A second and third fan also hit the ring, and Jason throws those two out one by one. Bad Company runs in to help Hiro Haze, and that's enough to get Jason the Terrible and the Zodiac leaving. Pillman delivers as somber an interview as he's capable of giving at this point. Jason wasn't trying to win a match. He was trying to hurt Hiro Haze, and this interview is a especially powerful because it's in the ring as Haze is being st strapped to a stretcher and carried out of the ring. Yeah, this was uh, a little bit scary. You never like to see a guy taken out on a stretcher, although if you're going to fight Jason on Friday the 13th, I think you, you, know, you probably should have brought the stretcher yourself. Yeah, you should have definitely made arrangements. Mind you, that just goes to the talent that you believe believe in yourself enough to go up against them. True. Our third show in November, November 20th, 1987, it opens with Garfield Ports defeating Biff Wellington. Garfield Ports is a 10 out of 10 wrestling name. It's one of my favorite wrestling names I've heard in a long time. And thankfully, Ed Whalen on commentary is there to explain that Jeff Ports is Garfield's father and was a longtime competitor in the Stampede Wrestling area. For someone like me who's new to Stampede Wrestling and trying to learn as much as he can, that is amazing context that Ed Whalen was able to provide to really help legitimize Garfield Ports in my, in my mind. Yeah, that kind of gives him instant credibility. And uh, and he kind of backs it up. Absolutely. This match was all ports. He was just beating down Biff Wellington. And besides a very, very brief flurry of strikes from Wellington, ports is just in control. That's the main story. Until he misses a shoulder, shoulder tackle in the corner on Wellington. And Wellington comes back strongly, really showing some serious technical wrestling ability. Uh, Gortz manages to battle Wellington down to the mat and traps him in a single leg Boston Crab, and that forces uh, Biff Wellington to tap out. 
After the match, Garfield Ports is in the ring with Ed Whalen, and he says that he's here for the title, which I assume is the North American Heavyweight Championship, and that he's not here to make friends. And Ed Whalen quips back by saying that he's going to be very successful in the latter. Owen Hart's in the ring with Jim Davies chatting about Owen's injury and and his defense of the title later in this episode against Jerry Morrow. We quickly go into another singles match. Carrie Brown defeating Randy Thatcher. Thatcher's able to hit a couple of big scoop slams on the bigger Carrie Brown. Some really impressive power shown by Thatcher in this match. Unfortunately, his inexperience is his downfall. He gives Brown just enough space to figure out how he's going to turn Thatcher inside out with a huge clothesline. Running elbow drop and Brown gets the pinfall victory. Yeah, it's a return for Kerry Brown, but I missed his I missed his partner, Duke Byers. Like to me they, they should be together. So it's hard for me to see him in singles competition, I think. You're so used to him being part of the Masters of Disaster, right? Yeah, they just, you know, they dominated the scene for so long that seeing them in singles matches, it, it seems like there's something missing for them. Uh, bad News joins Ed Whalen in the ring after that match. And Bad News says that he has an open challenge to both Owen, the, to both Owen Hart, who he calls Lollipop Hart, and Pee Wee the Hart Herman, or Corporal Kirshner, and that neither of them are man enough to actually put their name on the dotted line. And he says he will not wrestle again until it's against Owen Hart or Kirshner. Yeah, and there's one thing about Bad News Allen. If he's going to call you out, he's, he's not going to run from you at all. He'll, no. he'll probably show up unexpected. Yeah, Bad News... I want to see that match. I want to see Owen Hart versus Bad News Allen. And I want to see Corporal Kirshner against Bad News Allen. Because I think Bad News Allen, you know he's one of the top guys there. I know he's one of the top guys there. I want to see Bad News Allen challenge for that championship because we haven't seen it just yet. Yeah, he's been a little, I'm not sure the word for it, but you're excited he's around but he's, you want to see him more in the ring. He's on a collision course with Owen Hart and Corporal Kirshner. Yeah, he's kind of like an asteroid. You could, you could see him. It's coming. There's going to be a massive explosion when the two come together. Yep. And speaking of a collision course, two men that are on a similar collision course are Steve DeSalvo and Phil LaFleur. They have tag team partners in this next match. Hashif Khan is working with Steve DeSalvo and Johnny Smith is teamed up with Phil LaFleur. Johnny Smith is on the defense as we join this match. Hashif Khan whips Smith into the ropes, but Smith is able to avoid a spinning back kick from Khan, delivering a crossbody of his own as a response he almost jumped over con during this crossbody actually but the story they're telling here is that he tweaked his knee when he landed on the mat DeSalvo and con take that opportunity to isolate smith by making a couple of quick tags and keeping him tucked away in their corner DeSalvo is getting distracted by lafleur and that gives smith the opportunity to roll him up from behind for a two count Smith's DeSalvo stops Smith from making the tag and then tags in Khan, who continues to brawl with Smith in the corner before tagging DeSalvo back at the match. DeSalvo holds Smith up over his shoulder and gets Khan to hit a diving elbow drop that sends Smith crashing to the mat, and DeSalvo makes the pin to get the victory. After the match, Lafleur is in the ring. He's claiming that DeSalvo is ducking him, and all he wants is one match against DeSalvo, one-on-one. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter what type of match it is to him. 
he hopes that this salvo is half as tough as his mouth because if he is, then it'll be one heck of a fight. This salvo, he comes out from the locker room and he promises Lafleur is going to receive a pile driver on the concrete. And then he's going to throw him back into the ring from the floor and then deliver an elbow drop. And Lafleur will be permanently injured from this match and will never ever wrestle again. It's a really good promo from both men. I think I preferred Lafleur's a little bit more. Yeah, I think so. I think he's a little better with his style in the interviews. Although they've built up this match fairly quickly and I think very well. They really have. This match has been what, a two, three week build and it's hot. Like for it not being for a title at all. It's not for a heavyweight title. It's not for a mid heavyweight title. It's not for a tag title. I'm sure it'll affect their ratings a little bit, but the ratings aren't a primary focus of these two men. It's a personal grudge between these two guys because they're so similar. They come from a bodybuilding background. They're both strong guys and they want to prove once and for all that there's only room for one big bull in Stampede Wrestling and it's going to be them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the match when it does come. Another match that has been building for quite a while has been Mock and Singing Corporal Kirshner. Corporal Kirshner actually got a promotion. He's now a colonel. Which is, you know, it's about time. He's taken a lot of shots in the ring. That's, uh, that's colonel material. <laughs> this match has been being built since the start of October. It, as this was being built, I kept thinking it's going to be a really solid match between two really big men. And it, it was good, but it wasn't quite what I expected or I had built up in my mind. Kirshner was down on the ground. Makin Singh had control of him as we were joined. He keeps him there with a couple of stiff knees to the lungs of Kirshner. A clothesline only gets a two count. Singh gets the bear hug tied on Kirshner and Kirshner struggling to battle out of it. And with, without getting results, Singh Singh's frustrated. He's frustrated the bear hug hasn't put away Colonel Kirshner and the referee is distracted and Singh has this opportunity to attack Kirshner with a low blow and of course Mock and Singh is going to take advantage. So he drops to his knees upper arm straight into the crotch and Corporal Kirshner is struggling. Got him right in the colonels. He got him right in the colonels. Kirshner eventually recovers and is able to deliver a stiff clothesline an elbow and a flying punch for a two count. He slams Singh dead in the middle of the ring. And this is probably the first time people in the crowd and people watching at home have seen Makin Singh be physically manhandled by someone. Yeah, it's almost always him using the size and strength advantage. To see someone actually be able to lift him and slam him is something else. Absolutely. And Bad News Allen is out. And Corporal Kirshner gets distracted. And this gives the opportunity for Mockin' Singh to roll Kirshner up immediately after delivering a Karachi crunch and getting the pinfall victory and giving Corporal Kirshner, sorry, Colonel Kirshner, his first loss in Stampede Wrestling. After, after Mockin' Singh and after Bad News Allen get out of there, uh, Colonel Kirshner is talking to Jim Davies in the ring and Kirshner is carrying a body bag around with him and he puts it in the middle of the ring. He opens it up for no reason and, and walks away. Colonel Kirshner is a psychopath. Our penultimate match, Owen Hart defeating Jerry Morrow. Earlier in the night, Owen Hart had implied that it was for the championship, but Jim Davies was very clear that this was a non-title match. Uh, Moro is in control when we join. Jim Davies says that the first half of the match is dominated by Owen. And right on cue, immediately after Jim Davies says that, Owen reverses Moro's attacks and delivers a pile driver right in the middle of the ring. 
Owen goes up to the top for a splash, but Morrow manages to get his knees up. This is some classic Jerry Morrow. He's using the wrist tape to choke Owen Hart. The referee does the traditional three drops of the arm, and Owen battles to keep his arm up. Owen is up to his feet as soon as he gets the chance, but Mockin gets his knee back into Owen's midsection and sends him flipping back down to the mat. Owen jumps over Morrow in the corner and sets the pace for the rest of the match, eventually getting the pinfall victory in the middle of a rope running pattern. It was a really unexpected finish. Yeah, it was a good match all around. Jerry Morrow put up more of a more of a fight than I thought he would. It was a fun match to watch. It was it was a good example of how Owen can work with anyone and get a really good match out of them. And I like that move when he does the handstand in the corner. When the when his opponent times it correctly. It's yeah. a really cool move to watch. Yeah, where he does the handstand in the corner and flips over his opponent. Yeah, it's really cool. Our main event of this show, Stampede International Tag Team Championships are on the line. The team of Bad Company, our champions, Brian Pillman and Bruce Hart, defending against the Legion of Doom, the team of Jason the Terrible and the Zodiac. And when we join the match in progress, Zodiac is in control of Bruce Hart and Zodiac is just tagging in Jason. Jason immediately delivers a leg drop across Bruce Hart's throat and Hart's in a, in a bad way. He needs, he's in desperate need of a tag to Pillman. Jason looking absolutely like a missile annihilates Hart with a flying shoulder block. At this point, Jason tags Zodiac back in and Hart manages to get some space away from the Zodiac. He gets Zodiac right into the middle of the ring, staggered, and that gives him enough of an opportunity to just unleash his devastating clothesline for the victory. So I'm a little disappointed that Pillman didn't get tagged into this match, but we only caught probably the last, I don't know, five minutes of a 20-minute match. And really, the story here is what happened after the match, where Zodiac is running down Jason verbally in the ring. He's berating him. He's kicking him in the chest in front of the entire crowd. The crowd is disgusted by the Zodiac, and they're starting to cheer for Jason. They're starting to chant, go, Jason, go, urging Jason the Terrible to stand up for himself. And the Zodiac, he has the microphone, and he's just tearing Jason. He's just tearing into Jason, and our tape cuts out. I would have loved to have heard the rest of that promo. Oh, yeah. To me, this was kind of like watching someone who owned a lion that had a bad day and decided to take it out on the lion and just started smacking it. You're kind of just waiting for things to get really interesting. Yeah, well, something must have happened there because... The next show, we have Jason the Terrible versus the Zodiac in a mask-for-mask match as the main event. But before we get there, we have to get through four, five matches. Um, Opening the next show, November 27, 1987, Garfield Ports defeating Johnny Smith. Garfield picks up two yellow cards fairly quickly in this match. Ports and Smith are in the middle of the ring. Smith blocking a couple of suplex attempts by Ports and then delivering one of his own. Smith smashes Ports' head into the corner, but then misses a shoulder block there, giving Ports the opportunity to climb to the top rope. But Smith isn't worn down enough yet. He notices Ports on the top rope and throws him right off of it. Smith delivers a running power slam to Ports in the middle of the ring, who manages to kick out at two. Johnny Smith to the top rope for a splash attempt, but after he leaps off that top rope, Ports gets his knees up, and Smith is in, in a bad way. He's down on the mat. Ports is delivering some smashes, some elbows, some forearms to the down Smith, and eventually gets him back up, and Smith manages to reverse a grapple from Ports. 
by sneaking behind him and into a German suplex position, but parts battles forward into a corner and the referee, as he's leaning over the ropes, checking on ports and yelling at Johnny Smith, doing the one, two, three, four, five, telling Smith to break the, break the hole ports gives Smith a mule kick to the groin. And that gives him the opportunity to roll Smith up for the victory. Yeah, there have been a lot of groin-assisted victories lately. There, there has been. But this match was really solid technically between these two guys to start with. Yeah, I'm really liking Ports. He's a really no-nonsense wrestler. When he says, you know, a lot of guys, I'm going after the title and that's it, you really feel it with him. That's, he, he seems driven when he's in the ring. For sure. And we have, a, we have a bad company promo after this. They're teasing their match against Goldie Rogers and Kerry Brown later in the, later in the show. And this, this is the line that really cracks me up. Pillman goes, Rogers looks like Rumpelstiltskin and an anorexic Santa Claus had a child. And immediately, Bruce Hart is, is the next guy speaking on the promo. And he's just very flat. Thanks for supporting us, everybody. Say no to drugs, kids. And it's just these two together just crack me up. Just their personalities and the promos can't be any different. They're an incredible tag team, though. Oh, yeah, they're so much fun to watch. Our next match is Steve DeSalvo defeating Randy Thatcher. Brute strength on display by DeSalvo. A massive DDT to Thatcher. And instead of trying to win, DeSalvo just yells at Thatcher to get up. DeSalvo was manhandling Thatcher in this match. Stiff strikes, big clotheslines, grabbing Thatcher by the throat and throwing him across the ring. A running bulldog has Thatcher down, but DeSalvo taunts the crowd instead, flexing his biceps and waving to them. DeSalvo delivers a big body slam and then a diving elbow drop from the second rope to the down Thatcher and then tries to pin Thatcher by just putting his foot lightly on his chest. Unsurprisingly, Thatcher kicks out and then takes a pile driver right in the middle of the ring for his troubles. DeSalvo this time, he drapes his knee across Thatcher's chest and flexes his biceps looking at the camera for a three count. This is a really good showcase of what Steve DeSalvo brings to a wrestling ring. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't fast-paced. It was, it was a car crash, but it was effective. It was just brute power. Yeah, it was kind of a deadlift. It was just pure power doing as much as you could in a short burst. We have a very short match next. Phil LeFleur defeating Black Sabbath. Talk about a lawsuit waiting to happen. But he wins it with a rolling fireman's carry to get the pinfall in 51 seconds. DeSalvo's out, and he says he can do it in five seconds and that he'll do it next week. 15 seconds would be my estimate. That's a good call. We'll find out as we go into December after this episode. Our next match, Bad Company, Bruce Hart, Brian Pillman, defeating Goldie Rogers and Kerry Brown. It's not surprising. Bad Company just won the tag team championships. They're going to hold on to it for a little bit. This match was dominated by Bad Company. Hart is in his opponent's corner as we join it, and Brown wraps the tag rope around Hart's throat behind the back of referee Jurgen Herman. But as action turns back towards that corner, he, he lets go of the tag rope and gets tagged in. Kerry Brown is going up to the top rope to attack Hart, but Hart's able to get up and intercept him and throw him off the top rope into the middle of the ring. Hart is wiped, though. He can't, cap- he can't capitalize on the moment, and Rogers and Brown just continue the assault. Hart manages to get closer and closer to his own corner into Pillman, but Rogers is able to stop Hart from making that tag and dragging him back into the middle before tagging in Brown. 
Brown misses a splash in the corner and Hart's able to tag in Pillman, who changes the, the pace of the match entirely. Everything's faster. He gets up to the top rope and yells, get out of my fucking way at Jurgen Herman before landing a big diving elbow to Brown. Pillman battles to the corner and tags in Hart. Bad company combination after combination, culminating in a Hart clothesline and a Pillman cross body three quarters of the way across the ring. Bad company wins. They are so much fun to watch. Yeah, they're definitely the the main match of the evening on any any show they're in because they they move so quickly together. They make good tags, and you just don't really ever know what's coming. It, it's insanity. It is so good. This tag team. I, I might have to get myself a Badanarama. <laughs> if we can find Badanas, I am in to get one and wear it to every wrestling show around here. Oh, well, look, dude, you never know. They might be on eBay. Uh, we'll take a look. Going from one heart, going from Bruce, we go to Owen Hart, who is in a match against Hashif Khan. Owen Hart wins this match, but... Khan looks good in this match. We join it. Khan's in the top rope looking to do a splash, but Owen's a little bit too fast for him. He gets up to the top rope and meets Khan with a big suplex. Owen up to the top rope on his own and attacking with the precise missile dropkick. Owen gets Khan into the corner with a few loud chops, followed by a monkey flip into the middle of the ring. Owen vertical suplex near the middle of the ring and then a flying elbow drop from the top rope. It almost keeps Khan down. And Owen propels himself over the corner. Owen propels himself over Khan in the corner and uses a bridging suplex for the pinfall victory. Owen says that his knee is almost at 100% and will be taking on all comers after this and taking the opportunity. Kerry Brown comes out. Ed Whalen asks him point blank where Duke Myers is. Kerry Brown says that he's in the market for a new tag team partner. And obviously, Goldie Rogers isn't it. He's looking for someone to work with and hold that tag team championship for another seven years. He says that he has an opportunity at Owen Hart's championship the following week. And obviously, that he'll win. And then he tells Owen, bring the velvet case. Yeah, and this one seems a bit to me like Kerry Brown talking above his station. Because there's a lot of guys on that list to get at Owens Championship. And he hasn't really proven himself in singles yet. Next match, Mock and Singh versus Colonel Kirshner. This one is a double count out. Bad news is out. Holding Kirshner tight over the ropes while Mock and Singh spray paints a yellow stripe down his back. Jurgen Herman gives Mock and Singh a yellow card for that. So you have outside interference, you've got a foreign object, and you're spraying it on your opponent, and it's just a yellow card. Well, because it was yellow spray paint. <laughs> it could have been anything. Yeah, sometimes, you know, Jurgen's a little he's a little forgiving. Kirshner has been dragged out to the crowd by Bad News Allen because Jurgen Herman was too distracted by Mockin to give him the yellow card. Kirshner is dragged all the way out and fights his way back to the ring, just beating the count. Mockin throws him back out of the ring and quickly follows to the concrete outside, slamming Kirshner's head into the ring steps. Kirshner is cut. He's bleeding. He's stumbling all over the, all over the outside. We jump ahead and Kirshner is a lot more composed. He's in control a lot more. He's brawling with Mock and Singh around the ring, right in front of the top, right in front of the front row. Uh, slamming Mock and Singh into the announcer's table and grabbing a chair from the crowd and smashing Singh with it. He doesn't get a yellow card. He doesn't get a red card because immediately Jurgen Herman is in the ring blowing his whistle to confirm that the match is finished as a double countout. So, you know, a pretty good match and you know you're going to get another one. So all in all, enjoyable. We won't get another one of the next match, though. Jason the Terrible defeating the Zodiac in a mask-for-mask mask match. Zodiac is in control when we join this one. Jason is able to get his leg 
onto the bottom rope to break a pinfall attempt. Zodiac is obviously frustrated with not being able to put away Jason so far in the match. Jason takes this opportunity to just recover, and he's he throws Zodiac into the corner and nails him with a huge body slam, and he goes to the top rope, and Zodiac pulls him down by the ankle. At this point, Zodiac and Jason are both up on the ropes. Uh, Zodiac is looking to attempt a superplex, but Jason is shoving him off and attacking him with a diving head. Jason, he gets the win, and... He, he turns to the crowd and he's motioning to the crowd that it's time that the Zodiac loses his mask. And seeing Jason interact with the crowd in such an animated way is, it's funny. It's almost childlike. Like this is a guy that he just wanted to be accepted. And now that he is by the crowd, well, now he's just really happy. He's kind of a Monsters Inc. kind of monster. Kind of, but Zodiac is down and Jason the Terrible comes over and he pulls the mask off of Zodiac and Ed Whalen is, he's going, let let me see who's under that mask. Let me see. And as soon as the mask comes off, Ed Whalen goes, I don't know. I don't know him. Luckily, Jim Davies is there and he's, he's saying it's Barry. Oh, Barry Orton from another territory. Bad news is out. And he and Jason are staring at each other. Bad news gets the microphone offers Jason congratulations, extending his hand. Jason plays to the crowd and then shakes Bad News's hand. But Jason doesn't know. The crowd can see it. The television audience can see it. Bad News Allen is carrying that can of spray paint. And then he quickly sprays Jason with yellow spray paint directly into his eyes. And he steals Jason's fiberglass mask. Bad News is attacking Jason with some headbutts of his own while he's wearing Jason's mask. And Jason is laid out in the ring and the crowd is going wild as Jason is being picked up by News and thrown into the ropes for one final headbutt. Bad News Allen leaves Jason's mask in the center of the ring with Jason. And we wrap that episode up and that month up with Jason scrambling to put his own mask back on. And that's one of the things, you know, when there's guys calling people out all the time, but when you watch Jason the Terrible for the last, you know, six, seven episodes we've seen, you see what he can do and Bad News still has the guts to go after him like that and humiliate him. It's just mind-boggling to me. Now that's going to be a that's going to be a explosive match when those two meet up. Absolutely, I, I wish that we would be able to get the entire match somehow because it, it's Stampede Wrestling. It's going to be a shortened. It's going to join it in progress. But I would love to see that entire match and see how that whole match plays out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Wrestling Rodeo Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at Wrestling Rodeo CA or on Twitter, Wrestle Rodeo CA. Or you can find us on our website, WrestlingRodeo.com. We maintain a calendar there of all the wrestling events in Alberta. So if you ever want to get out there and see what pro wrestling has to offer you in the year 2020, go to our website, go check out the calendar, find an event near you and watch some live local wrestling. There is a lot of great wrestling out there today. If you love Stampede Wrestling, you're going to find something you're going to like today. And we'll see you there. And in the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another edition of Wrestling Rodeo.